We have the Lord's Prayer, and I'm going to recite that this morning. So if you would pray with me, please. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. Alphas can be dismissed. Well, some of you do not like sports. Some of you do, even teams like the Red Sox. Some sports are not something you just pick up, just on a random day and be good at it, be an expert in. Sports take a lot of practice. That's why I don't play golf, because golf is a precision sport. The attention span needed for longer than the 45 seconds I can give to it. Or you take this little ball and you get it into this little cup. You've got to make sure you choose your proper club to go the right distance and also make sure it goes straight. Not good at that. Or basketball, a sport of repetition where there's people who play basketball over and over again, like Maria, that shoot a basketball thousands and thousands of times and they make it look easy. I remember Wesley as a younger kid, he was trying to learn how to play and throw a Frisbee. And Frisbee, you need to make sure that your arm is at the right angle, your wrist does the proper thing, and it goes straight. If you don't do it, and it won't go straight. You won't get it to where you need it. So I had to go over to teach him. I had to take his hand. I had to show him the angle that his arm needs to go at, the, what his wrist needs to do to get the Frisbee to go straight. Sports takes a lot of practice, time and errors from time to time, and a good hand to help in coaching. And so as we head into John 17, it's helpful to remember what we've seen and heard so far in this upper room discourse that Jesus is spending with his disciples. Jesus calls his disciples to abide in him. His word and the gospel we saw in John 15, and it connects to prayer. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In chapter 15, verse 7. Later on in verse 16, if we abide to bear fruit, because he chose us, it also directs our prayer. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Looking at the cross and the resurrection, Jesus encourages prayer again in chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. 
And based on that love of God that we receive as disciples, prayer is connected a couple verses later in verse 26 of chapter 16. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, as Jesus is praying for us. And so four times Jesus encourages the disciples to pray. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Or in Philippians, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Jesus also says in Luke 18, he calls the disciples always to pray and not lose heart. And so if you haven't caught on, there is an importance of prayer for God's people. And that's going to be our time this morning. Jesus has told his people to pray. He modeled prayer for us as Phil just read and prayed for us in the Lord's Prayer. And in John 17, Jesus has now given them a lot of hard things. He's warned them about the difficulty that's to come before them. And they are dumbfounded. They are silent. And so what does Jesus do? He prays. He's like a good coach, modeling prayer. I've told you to pray, now I will show you how to pray. And so Jesus models prayer for them so that they can observe and imitate Him without needing to ask for help. And so before we jump into John 17, why don't we pray again? Father, we ask that you'd help us. God, would you help us to behold marvelous, wonderful things in your word? Would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to respond to your grace and your mercy, and most importantly, your gospel this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as you're looking at John 17, we can break this prayer of Jesus down into three parts. First, Jesus prays for himself and our salvation. Second, Jesus prays for the disciples and their security. And then he third prays for future disciples, disciples who are to come and the sending nature of our relationship with him. So let's look at verse one. Jesus prays for himself and our salvation. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so his hour has come. This is the hour that we have been waiting for 17 chapters. The hour of his sacrifice. The hour of his suffering. The hour that he was born for. To die in our place on the cross for our sins. And here Jesus asked the Father to glorify the Son. So that the Son may in turn glorify the Father. Where the Son glorifies the Father through his obedience. Through his sacrifice. Through his crucifixion for his 
his people. The son receives glory. He receives honor as he raises from the dead, assuming his place in the ascension at the right hand of the father. And the son gave life at creation, and now he gives eternal life, a life that lasts forever, where his sheep are given to him by the father. And this fruit-bearing branches that we saw in chapter 15 are given to the son. We're given is used 16 times in this one chapter because it's important. Matthew 28, 18, he's, as he's resurrected from the dead, he meets his disciples before he ascends into heaven. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He has authority to grant eternal life. But it's not just a life that lasts forever. It's a life, he says, to know God in verse 3. Eternal life starts when we believe, as it says in verse 4. It's not something we have to wait for, to come down the road. We experience eternal life now. A friend of mine, he recently highlighted this for me. He says, a life that lasts forever might not always be a good thing. You older folks probably understand this more than us youngsters. At the end of a long life, a painful life, a life of sorrow and difficulty, we long for something different than what we've already experienced for so long. But eternal life does last forever. But it's an entirely different sort of life. Jesus says it's a life to know Him, and it's a life to know the Father. And the Father is the only true God, He says in verse 3, which is the same language as the Son is the way, the truth, and the life. Or we saw last week that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Jesus says He was glorified before the world existed, and He asks for glory to be restored to Him in verse 5. Where the sun had glory before he even created light and day, the sea, the animals, and even humanity. And the sun has always existed as God, and so he has always received glory. But as Paul says in Philippians 2, he humbled himself. He humbled himself, taking on flesh, adding to his divinity, humanity, giving up the honor of heaven to live a perfect life here on earth for 30 years or so, and eventually to die, as we'll see soon, on a cross. The universe isn't eternal, but the Son is. And Jesus wants a restoration of what is lost in the fall, so he'll die soon. And when that comes, the Father will receive glory. He didn't count equality with God, Jesus, worth holding on to do. He humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant, adding to his divinity humanity so that he would humble himself even further to die, but eventually to rise. Because, friends, the grave is empty even to this day, and the Son is exalted above every name. And this is a marvelous truth to rest in. And Jesus is praying to the Father. He's modeling how we approach God. Our lives are meant to adore the Father, but in turn, we receive joy in that. We're to model and adore the Father just like Jesus does, to give Him glory. And so we can learn from Jesus' prayer. Let Jesus' prayer guide us. As you read your Bible on your own, you can allow God's Word to guide your own prayers. This is a prayer, so we can allow it to guide us. Maybe your hearts are already responding this morning, and we can praise God in our prayers for sending His Son. So let's pray. Why don't you bow your heads? I'll pray this for us. Father, thank You for sending Your Son to die, to make it possible that we can even pray right now 
to make it possible that we would listen or that you would listen. Thanks for opening up a door. Thanks for giving him authority over all things that he created. Thanks for being a God who deserves glory. Thanks for being patient with us that you haven't executed your righteous judgment before we've believed. Thanks for being gracious, not giving us what we deserve in death. Thanks for being merciful, giving us what we don't deserve, eternal life, a life to know you. In your mercy, as you reveal yourself in your word, thank you for giving us understanding, ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to respond. Father, thank you. All God's people said, Amen. Jesus' prayer can help us to learn to pray. He will receive glory. When we ask for it, for God's glory, you will receive it. Ask and you will receive. Jesus prays for himself and our salvation. Next, he prays for his disciples and their security. Look with me at verse 6. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Just keep your finger there. Stop there. Jesus moves from praying for himself, for praying for his people, for you and I, but these disciples that are before him and their security. The original language says, yours they were, before they are. Before they were yours, Father, they were already yours, Father, if that makes any sense. Jesus had made a similar statement in chapter 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. In Ephesians 1, Paul says God chose us before the foundation of the world, that we were predestined for adoption to obtain an inheritance. Those who believe belong to God, and it was decided before the foundation of the world. We see last week in verse, or sorry, we saw last week that those who believe belong to God. And in verse 6, it connects this very important strategic link that the important work is that the disciples become the link as Jesus ascends to heaven to the ministry of Christ as it continues in the world after he leaves, after his death, after his resurrection, after his ascension. Where everything belongs to God by virtue of his creation, but here his possession is because of the redemption, the price that he paid on the cross for us. Our security is in His work for us, not just in His authority over us. Where Jesus died to call a people. And it's not because we're awesome people. I think you guys are pretty awesome. We were part of the wicked world when God gave Jesus to the world to call to those, sorry, to call those to Himself that He chose 
out of the world. And disciples know this, we see in verse 7. This verb, which says, he gave, or have given, is in a tense that talks about an action that is completed in the past, but it has results that continue in the future into the present. The actions that are completed are these works and works, these words and works of Jesus. And the lasting result, the things that abide today, is the belief that we have in Jesus. It's perseverance. You believe, I believe, we must keep believing. We must keep reminding ourselves and how we should know that Jesus did die, that he died for us, that he must die as he talks about in this passage, that he will go to the cross soon. Jesus must fulfill the Old Testament promises. Even so, they have a deep conviction, even though they probably didn't understand how he did fulfill all those promises, that Jesus is God's messenger, that he has been sent by God, and that all that he teaches is God's truth. They didn't know everything, how it was going to be fulfilled at this time. They had a, a, a bit of an understanding of what that was, but they did know that Jesus' words were worth trusting, even if they didn't fully comprehend what they were going to accomplish. And this connects to Jesus' question last week in verse 31 of chapter 16. He asked the disciples, do you now believe? He wants us here to keep believing. And Jesus prays to the Father, to those who believe, in verse 9, I am praying for them. He's praying for the disciples. He's praying for us, for those who do believe. And so we can learn from Jesus' prayer. Let's Jesus, let Jesus' prayer guide us. Maybe your heart's already responding that we can praise God in our prayers for sending His Son. And so, let's bow our heads again. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for not leaving your sheep unaccounted for, for leaving the 99 to find the one, to find me, to find us. Thank you, Father, for speaking in your word and through your people. Thank you, Father, for leading and guiding. Thank you for not allowing us to perish while keeping us in your hand forever. Thank you for being the author and perfecter of our faith. And thank you for giving us the gift of belief. Would you help us to continue to believe? And God's people said, Amen. Jesus prays to help us. To pray. He saved us. He keeps us. He secures us. When you ask for a cornerstone, you will receive it. These are things that God desires in His Word, and so we can ask. And He delights to respond like a good Father. We are His people because of His work. We have a new identity. And because they need help, He continues to pray for them. Let's finish that paragraph in verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with you, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak to you, to, or I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and your, the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that they, you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world 
just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. He's reminding them that he is going to leave again soon. He has kept them protected, and when he leaves, he asks the Father to protect them. Like a good shepherd, he protects his sheep from predators. Jesus leaves, and they will remain. And Jesus asked the Father to keep them in the Father's name, in the Father's character, a God who keeps his promises. No one can snatch the disciples away, we've seen in John, but he still prays for them because life is hard. Verse 11 says Jesus wants the church to be unified, like God is unified. We're God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit for all eternity with the same mission, nature, and essence is unified. And in His absence, He wants us to act like that. Where our unity as a church, it models God's unity. May we never be a church that fights with each other over preferences. Let's be a church that fights for unity. Jesus prays for God to keep us in his name, to be guarded, to not be lost. And our means of endurance is not just God's character, but the word of God we see in verse 14, where he has given us his word. The God of the word and the word of God, it both secures believers. It leads us and secures us and protects us and helps us to move forward. The son obeyed and true disciples obey. The son was hated. True disciples will be hated. We saw that in chapter 14. When we follow the son and the word, the world hates it. Believers will continue to live in this world, but are clearly not part of it and don't belong to it. And many of us probably have wished in the last couple years that we were in heaven, that we would just get out of this crazy world in which we live in. But Jesus prays for us in verse 15. Don't take them from the world, but keep them from the evil one. Friends, we're not in heaven yet, so he prays for us. We remain in the world for influence, but we should not be part of the world. Our nature is an entirely different nature, where we are holy, we have a new identity, we have a new family that we belong to, and our attitudes and actions are different than the world around us. We should not act or look like the world around us. I think our biggest challenge is not to respond to the world like the world responds to things. The world hates truth. We talked about that. The world around us is hateful because of it. They hate God. They hate God's word. What would the world say about our worlds? Our, sorry, our words. Even the ones we type on social media. You don't need to type all your thoughts on social media. Talk to God about your concerns. Talk to God about your gripes, your struggles, your fears, your disappointments. Or talk to a friend, someone in this church, or a pastor, or an elder. Facebook is not the place for doing that. Buy a journal. If you need me to buy you one, I will buy you a journal. When Roe v. Wade was overturned just a couple months ago, the news recorded people on both sides of the argument screaming, about what they were opposed to, both sides. But who did the media mainly capture and who did the media primarily display for the world to see? 
It was the Christians. It were those who were for life, that were front and center. And those Christians were in the world, but the hate that they displayed was being like the world. Even though they were for something that God hates, murder of the unborn, many had hate in their hearts towards men and women created in God's image. And Jesus says that hate in your heart is the equivalent of murder. What about the world's craving for sex or distorting humanity made in God's image, man and woman? The church doesn't have a good record of that, does it? Divorce, adultery, fornication, pornography. The world doesn't live with God as the supreme authority. It doesn't value the image of God. It doesn't value the gift of marriage. May that never be so of Cornerstone Church. Where we follow the truth in Jesus in verse 17, ask the Father to sanctify us in the truth. Where sanctification is this process of becoming holy. Sanctification is the means to make holy, and it's the process that we go through here on earth before we are finally glorified when we die. Jesus wants us to grow into maturity, into holiness. And what we do, or we, sorry, we do that with the word of truth. We've seen recently the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all called truth. And here Jesus says that your word, his word, the Bible, the scriptures is truth. But the Bible's not God, but it shows us what is true. And this sanctification is not a temporary good feeling that we experience, where we've been set apart, where we've been made holy, we've been consecrated for a mission to go, where the baton has been passed from Jesus to the church. Jesus has run his race, and he is passing that baton to us that we might now run ours, following his example in the proclamation of the gospel, following his example of calling people to repentance. And the world knows hypocrisy, right? We do too. In some sense, we're all hypocrites because we all fall short, and we all fail to fulfill what the word says. But do we put forth effort to look like Jesus? He prayed for us that we would be holy, not as the world, but as the scriptures and our coach, the scriptures our coaching manual would call us to do. The Bible is the instruction manual for us in this coaching. Last winter, I wish someone would have reminded me, I had a good laugh last night, that when you go down a mountain and you're skiing, that when you're going from a groomed slope to fresh powder, you gotta lean back. Well, Kristen was behind me and all she saw was a big puff of snow everywhere because I wasn't paying attention. Coaching helps. God's word coaches us. And as verse 18 talked about our sanctification, our process of becoming holy, the same word is used by Jesus of himself in verse 19, as he consecrated himself. He is the holy one. We are his holy disciples because the son is holy. Where we continue in this task, he continues to work through us. Jesus consecrates himself so that we can be sanctified. As the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, those become the clearest words of Jesus related to the significance of his death. Where the perfect judge has taken the perfect sacrifice, and now the verdict is perfect in calling disciples holy. But subjectively, we continue to grow. The grounds of our growth, though, is the person and work of Jesus.
and so we can as well learn to pray like Jesus even here. Let Jesus' prayer guide you. Maybe your hearts are already responding to pray in your own heart. We praise God for being the author and perfecter of our faith. So let's bow our heads again. Father, we, I think with hesitation, ask that you wouldn't destroy this crazy world we live in until more would come to know you. The world we live in is hard, and so we ask that you would help us, comfort us, remind us of your word, because we need help and we need a guide. Thank you for keeping us. Thank you for guarding us. Thank you for not losing us. My Father, this, the temptations of this world are vast, and so lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Show us in your word, word what is evil, that we may flee it. Your word is good. Your promises are sure. Even in the temptation of worldly pleasures, Father, help us to know that. Help us to not to go after the vain things of this world while keeping our eyes fixed upon you. Help us to believe your word is true and useful. And when we don't want your word, would you give us confidence to know that it's good and act accordingly and submit to it even so. And Father, God's people all say in response to agreeing with these words. Amen. See how this can help us in our prayers? Jesus is holy. He makes us holy. When you ask for it, Cornerstone, you will receive it. He doesn't just pray for his current disciples, though. He prays for future disciples in our mission to call them into the family. Let's finish up in verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you, sent, you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And so as we go into the world, we will make disciples. The question is, who will we make disciples to? Will it be to us? Will it be to a politician? Will it be to a business or even a religious leader? Or will it be to Jesus? Jesus prays for those who will hear and believe through our words in verse 20. The mission of the disciples will prove to be effective because Jesus is effective. He said it will happen. And as the Father has unity with the Son, He gives glory to the Son, is known and has love towards the Son, we will have unity. We will receive glory as we are known and loved by the Father ourselves. As the Father gives the Son a mission, the Son gives us a mission. We are part of God's family. And so let's act like our Father. Let's act like the Son, our older brother. 
The mission of the church will never change. The methods will change because the world constantly changes. But the Son is our rock. He is our steady anchor. It's the only hope for a lost and dying world around us. Where the gospel and the gospel alone saves people, saves sinners from their sin and unifies the church. Where we are first unified in love, love for God, but also love for each other. And this unity of the Son and the Father is based on the Son's obedience we see in verse 21. And so our unity as a church is based on our obedience to the Father as well. We're really good at loving ourselves, aren't we? I don't argue with myself very much. I can easily forgive myself. Oh, it's just a little mistake. I don't call myself to much sacrifice for myself. It's actually pretty easy to sacrifice for myself. I don't need to be convinced to love myself. But God says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's not as easy, is it? We need help to love each other like we love ourselves. Where we bear with one another, we sacrifice for another, for one another, we forgive each other, we serve one another, we admonish one another, we exhort one another, we correct one another. Where we manifest the excellence of God's character, His holiness and perfection to each other. We honor God and we give Him glory together. The coach has made the relay team. Jesus passes the baton to us. Our mission continues in the world in verse 24. The world doesn't know God, but eternal life changes everything. We saw in verse 3. Jesus has made God known. We continue to make God known, and we continue to do so in the, with the world around us. Where believers receive eternal life to know God. The love of the Father extends, therefore, to every believer of the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Where our unity, our knowledge of the truth, our mission, our love, are the emphasis at the end of this prayer. And since the unity of the church is rooted in the unity of God and the redemption achieved by Christ, we are to understand this prayer of Jesus as answered, where God has made the church one in Christ. It's the highest calling we have in this world is to make Jesus known. God is the greatest object of glory. He is the greatest source of joy. He is the greatest recipient of worship. And it's unloving to keep that truth to ourselves. We've seen throughout this gospel that it has an outward-facing emphasis. I heard this illustration this week, and I thought it was very helpful. Back in the day, doctors would go make house calls. They would go check on kids. They would go check on the elderly. They would just make a circuit, and they would go. Now doctors have offices, and we have hospitals. We have to go make an appointment. We have to go to the doctor. Doctors used to be proactive, and I think the church used to be proactive too. Churches die because we expect people to come to us. Churches are sick because we are not unified in our mission. Church is not a building. We have a building. The church is a people, and God's people go tell the world the gospel and unity without being like the world. I don't think we fear hell ourselves much because we're saved, right? And so the American church has become complacent. 
the church doesn't care about the sickness as much as they should affecting and inflicting all the people in the world, the sickness of sin and the consequences of that. Friends, we have the cure. God's plan is not a mission for, or vision for the church, but God's plan is for the church to be used for his mission. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will obey or keep my commandments. If we don't obey the commandment to go, what does that say about our love? Jesus prays that we would. Many of you have been fishing. Many of you like fishing. They don't call it catching. They call it fishing. It's not as easy as just throw it over the side of the boat or reeling it in. You always have to get a fish on the line to call it fishing. A pastor friend of mine said this a few weeks ago. When you love fishing, you must love casting. Cast and you might catch something. Maybe you have a good coach or a guide that says, well, drop it over here. Let it drop down 10 feet. Don't reel too fast. Keep the tip down. When you come home, do you talk about how many casts you made or the fish that you caught or, of course, the one that got away? We must love casting. We often share when we got a promotion, not about the same job that we've had for a number of years. I harvested a billion zucchinis and I only planted two seeds this year. We like the fruit of our labors. We don't like the process. Friends, we were sent into the world to plant seeds, to cast a line, to be faithful to our job. And if you're struggling or if you have questions about how we engage the world around us, the conference I was at this week was giving away free books. So I grabbed only 13 of them. They're in the back. You can feel free to grab one. There's only 13. If you need me to buy more, I will buy more. We can learn from Jesus's prayer. And so let's allow Jesus' prayer to guide us again. Maybe your hearts are responding already. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for securing us. Thank you for sending us. Father, would you help us to be focused on your gospel as it brings you glory and us joy. Keep us focused on our calling to hear, to listen, and to obey, and to help us to bear witness to the world around us. But Father, help us to not be part of the world. Keep us in your word of truth as it leads us and it guides us. Help us to do what is on the back wall in the back, your vision for the church, for our church. Help us to love you, love others, inside and outside of this church, and to make more disciples. May your glory increase, and may our joy be complete. God's people said, Amen. So ask and you will receive, Cornerstone. Allow God's word to guide your asking. He shows us exactly what to ask for. And so I'll invite the music team up to lead us as we sing songs to a God who deserves all of our worship. And we'll respond in worship with giving of our tithes and offerings in prayer, but also in song. Thank you.